Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Can everyone hear me okay? Good. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Todd Bankler. I'm one of the entrusted teachers here at Appamata. And we're just finishing up our Sunday program, which is um, three periods of zazen or seated meditation interspersed with walking meditation. And then at the end, we like to finish up with a, a talk, a little bit of uh, food for thought or conceptual teachings about what we're doing here. <clears throat> so I brought you a little something that, that I thought might be helpful. Um, last time I was here, a couple weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, I did a talk about um, Zen training and the basics of Zen training where taking a practical approach, I tried to break down what we're doing, what this training is all about. This time I, I thought I'd like to expand on that a bit and talk about what I left out last time in our practical approach. Before I go there, I want to start with some words from Zenke Blanche Hartman, uh, Flint's primary teacher. And she says, when we are investigating Zen, we're just investigating how to live this life. I don't know of anything more urgent for me to investigate than how to live this life. I get only one chance to live this life, and I'd love not to make a mess of it. And that's what I was caught by this week, that I'd love to not make a mess of it. I have that aspiration. I think it's one of the reasons I came to practice. And recently I had a, you know, an incident where my thoughts, words, and deeds weren't in alignment with that aspiration and I, I kind of made a mess of it. As much as I'd love to think that enough training will make the messiness go away. So how do we investigate this life? How do we live it and not make a mess of it? Last time I talked about training from our ordinary viewpoint, um, our normal subjective experience, which is how we meet it. And we talked about uh, why we sit, 
and what that training does for us. Sitting in, you know, a motionless, unmoved physical posture and how that uh, starts to engender the ability to remain um, kind of reactively, does that a word? Um, not react, be more unmoved in your reactions as you approach life. We talked about how we sit upright and dignified, not leaning one way or the other, and how that enables us in our daily lives to meet things in an upright and dignified way, not leaning towards one preference or another, at least not habitually. And then we talked about bringing that quality of mind of non-judgmental awareness to the sitting. It's not just about the physical aspect, but it's about uh, the mind you bring to it. Training the puppy over and over again to come back and sit as it scurries away. We don't beat the puppy every time it scurries away. We just bring it back. And we talked about kinhin and how that's taking meditation our first step off the cushion and to try and bring this way of being into the world. And in intensives, we talked about sashin or intensives to collect body and mind and how that training was taking the backward step as Dogen put it to turn our attention and our light inward uh, to see what we're up to, to go deeper with our whole body and our mind. That's what Suzuki Roshi called putting snakes in a bamboo tube. That it tries to wriggle, but it's stuck. And there's no way to wriggle out of that intensive what Joko called a manufactured crisis, a crisis that we create by the intensive schedule. But if we do this training and we go deeper, we learn to surrender to the schedule and just do what's next. So we talked about all those things and I was hoping to give people some clarity about why we do these kinds of trainings and what they're meant to produce, both kind of at the practical individual level and um, what in Zen we call the Brahma Viharas or the, the fruits of practice, equanimity, compassion, joy, But I left one big key thing out, and that's where we pick up today, right? All of that is true, right? Everything I said before was true, but only from one perspective. It's not really true. It's a representation. It's a provisional map, a conceptual map of our training, what we're doing, but it's provisional one that you can use to help you progress through it. But at a certain point, 
you've got to understand that the map isn't the real world. It was just a tool you were using to try and get somewhere. So let's talk about abandoning that provisional nature, provisional map, and what we left out before. So reading from Blanche again, and she's describing her experience and her training as she progressed through um, learning how to sit, how to do kinyan, how to participate in sashimis, and how to train her body and mind. And then how she was um, redirected, let's say, fiercely redirected when she received, when she um, got to that point. Suzuki Roshi had asked us to try counting our breath from one to 10 and back again. And many people found it difficult. And their questions to him revealed that they saw it as a technique, one they hoped would be perfect and that they would perfect someday. Actually, there's a story about the time I had been working on counting my breath. I was participating in a one-day sitting, and I sat one period where I counted every breath. And I went to see Roshi and said, Roshi, I can count my breaths now. What do I do next? I thought he would say, good for you. Instead, he got very fierce. He said, don't ever think you can sit Zazen. That's a big mistake. Zazen sits Zazen. Don't ever think you can sit Zazen. That's a big mistake. Zazen sits Zazen. So that's the piece I left out. We approached all those trainings from our ordinary small monkey mind way of looking at things, from it being about me as the subject and something I could do, something I think I'm doing. But if we're gonna find this liberation and freedom that the scriptures talk about, we have to know that that was provisional. We have to learn how to leave it behind. Of course, we bring our egoic ideas to practice. Of course, we bring our subjective mind to practice. This is how we meet our world. This is Suzuki Roshi's idea of self. If you read any of his writings, the idea of self comes up over and over again. In one of my favorite talks of his, he's talking to a group of beginners 
And he says, most of you are beginners and that um, we always say our basic instruction is just sit, just to sit. And it seems like just sitting should be easy, but often just to sit is the most difficult thing. And it's difficult because we have an idea of self, an idea of what we think we're doing, that I'm sitting, that I can do this, or I can't do this, or I'm not good at this, or I've got it now, right? All of those are your ideas of yourself. That's not the sitting. He says that just to sit, to, to work on something is not so difficult. To work on something is not so difficult. We can give the small mind a bone to chew on and it will chew. That's not so difficult. To not work on anything may be the most difficult. And to do that, we have to move past our idea of self. This is from Suzuki Roshi again. Resuming big mind. And he's talking about sashin, which uh, means to collect body and mind, the Japanese term for our uh, intensives, our longer retreats. And he's talking about the Japanese terms, the Chinese terms for sashin, setsu, which um, means to treat something the way you treat a guest or the way a student treats his teacher, or to control or arrange things in order. And shin, meaning heart and mind. So to collect your heart and mind and arrange it in order. So sashin means to have proper functioning of mind. It is our five senses and our will, our small monkey mind, which should be controlled. When we control our monkey mind, we resume our true big mind. When monkey mind is always taking over the activity of big mind, we naturally become a monkey. So monkey mind must have its boss, which is big mind. However, when we practice Zazen, it is not that big mind is actually controlling small mind, but simply that when small mind becomes calm, big mind starts its true activity. Most of the time in our everyday life, we're involved in the activity of small mind. That is why we should practice Sazen and be completely involved in resuming big mind. So this is the part I left out. 
it's not that those trainings of sitting motionless and upright or walking and breathing bring this into the world. It's not that that map isn't true. It's that at some point, we need to stop doing it. You need to stop doing it. And watch how it happens. We need to resume the big mind, the one that doesn't rely on the monkey mind and its ideas of your practice and what your opinions of it are. Joko always used to say that the transformational change that occurs in this type of practice happens at the cellular level. Your opinions of it don't affect it. Until you believe your opinion so strongly that you stop, then it affects it. Oh, I'm not good enough. This isn't going anywhere. I might as well stop. Once you believe that, that'll affect it. So we resume this big mind, allow the monkey mind to settle. Small, so monkey mind must have its boss, which is big mind. This is from another talk from Suzuki Roshi, the boss of everything. The reason we practice Zazen is to be the boss of everything, wherever we are. But if I say so, it will create a misunderstanding that you are the boss of everyone or everything. When you understand it in that way, you exist as an idea in your mind. That is not the you we mean. That is a delusion because the ideas you have are not well supported by your practice and you become enslaved by the idea of you and others. When the real power of practice is supporting your understanding, then the you who is practicing our way is the boss of everything, the boss of you yourself. That is why Buddha said to control yourself. The self you have to control is the deluded you, not the real you. You have an idea of who you are and you're caught by it. You're enslaved by the deluded you, so you have difficulty or confusion. When these ideas are well controlled by the power of your practice, then that you is the boss of everything. Then even a confused mind will be supported by your practice. So to be one with something does not mean to be caught by it. You're caught when you become a member of something in your mind. You create something interesting in your mind. You become very suggestible and you feel the zeal to be a member of the group you have in your mind. You're enslaved by it. Even though you have nothing besides what you created in your mind. 
There is no practice, nothing which is supporting you. You are not the boss and you lose even yourself. That is the difference. So, we say to practice Zazen without any gaining idea, without any purpose. Let things work as they do, supporting everything as your own. Real practice has orientation or direction, but it has no purpose or gaining idea. So it can include everything that comes. Whether it is good or bad doesn't matter. If something bad comes, okay, you're part of me. And if something good comes, oh, okay. Because we do not have any special goal or purpose of practice, it doesn't matter what comes. Since it includes everything, we call it big mind. So that's what I have for you today. How does that hit you? Any questions or reflections? Arguments you want to have about it? We have some time. Good morning. Um, yeah, I, I also wanted to say thank you, Todd, for talk. Uh, one thing that came to mind was that, if I heard correctly, you said that what we do is re, what we do is to resume big mind. And so, for me, resuming um, that presumes that at some point, big mind was occurring. To resume it means it was occurring. And, and I'm gonna trap myself here because I'm going to use the word I. It was occurring to me. Uh, so to resume it means to, in my way of thinking, it means to reconnect with big mind. And it, it presumes that I was connected at one point. However, my thought is, I'm not sure that I know big mind. I'm not sure that I am resuming big mind. I want to, I aspire to big mind, but I just don't know that I ever have connected to it. So just a thought, just just a conflict as I as I contemplate what you were saying this morning. Yeah, so I hear you saying you have doubts that that big mind is there or that you know what it is or would recognize it. Something like that. Not so much that I doubt it's there, but more so that I don't know that I have ever encountered it uh, uh, or, or achieved it mm -hmm. or resided with it. Yeah. I hope that I have, I want to, and I, mm -hmm. I hope I have, but that, that's just, that's just, it just assumes that I have big mind. Say it this way. I'm going to change it slightly. Okay. I'm having the thought that I don't know big mind. 
Yes. Say that. I'm, I'm having the thought that I don't know big mind. So I can imagine um, talking to my mother and telling her about Zazen does Zazen. And she would always ask, well, how do you do that? And I don't know how I would possibly do that, but I, I suspect that's a question in all of our minds. You know, it's one thing to say, do it, and the other is how. Because most things that we do are uh, kind of volitional acts. You, you put your mind to it, you struggle, you figure it out, you read the instructions, and all those things seem counterproductive, right? Toward that end, right? If your if your end is is to not be doing it, correct, right? But where do you start? Someone's got to decide to sit down. It was Rev Anderson's talk on uh, zazen. The the one line I remember is is now I don't remember it, but. Zazen is activity devoid of all human agency. Devoid of all human agency. When small mind stops and isn't doing it, that's Zazen. But yet, somebody's got to decide to go to the Zendo and sit down. Yes. They're not either or. That's our dualistic thinking. Which is it? Maybe it's best to just kind of rest in the wonder and amazement of what's happening. Um, thank you, Todd. This is a beautiful discussion. Um, I have this, I have this understanding of Zazen Sit Zazen as being the willing or even involuntary surrendering releasing relinquishing of self and of will and uh, allowing maybe connectedness to all things flow through me um, so that I'm experiencing say Buddha nature, but I'm not doing it. It's not me. Um, and I wanted to ask you uh, if that makes any sense or or what you feel that zazen sit zazen is 
think it makes perfect sense. I think you captured it nicely. And thanks for restating it for everyone that way. Thank you. Hello, Joel. Hi, John. Um, I'm always glad to just hear from you. It feels like I get fed somehow without words or knowing what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, let's put it that way. That's okay. <laughs> but sitting here looking at all these people, I feel like something has been missing for so long, and that's community which is such a part of Buddhism for me. And so the words are not doing anything for me. But just looking at the people, I feel really divorced from everything. Well, I'm glad that you're here for this moment and can connect with us and feel that, that reminder that you're not actually divorced from everything. Sometimes, yeah, but we're always here. And yes, it's not in the words. That's one of our famous sayings around here, right? Zen is a special transmission outside all words and letters, right? a way of being in the world that's passed down warm hand to warm hand. No traps or snares can stain it. It sounds like you're feeling it a little bit today. Yeah, going back to just the basics of practice. <clears throat> and when we're using a lot of words to talk about it, it doesn't get me closer to it. Yeah. I know what you mean. And I think I tend to be more on that side of the spectrum as you are. But it's important not to forget that the conceptual understanding is an entry point for many people, right? And, to, and often they have to get their head wrapped around it correctly before they can make their bodies assume it. Right? But both are true. Both are provisional. Both aren't the whole truth, but both get us started and kind of launch us on our way. Well, the fact that I've been friends with you for a long time and I value you is why I'm here. That's the connection is the person to person. I thank you for that. Thank you for being here and for saying that. Thank you. All right, it seems like our questions have slowed down. So I think we'll wrap up here. Thank you for your participation.